The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Here's your host, Chad Young. Hello and welcome to the First Pitch Podcast. As the man said, my name's Chad Young. You can find me on Twitter at Chad Young. There are some fun stories today, but we've got to start with a less fun one because the only place we can start this morning, late Friday afternoon, news broke that Fernando Tatis Jr., just a few days away from being activated from the 60-day IL for his 2022 day debut, is being suspended for a positive PED test. He will miss 80 games due to the suspension. He served game one on Friday night. The Padres have 47 games left this year, which means he will miss the first 32 games of the 2023 season, as well as the rest of this one. As all players do, he came up with an excuse for how this substance got into his system, but his excuse is pretty flimsy. They usually are. In redraft, you can safely cut him after waiting all season, unfortunately. In keepers, you probably have to sit on him. Even if he isn't a keeper for you, you risk turning him into a cheap keeper for another team. You probably don't want to do that. In out of new leagues or other salary leagues, you could cut him hoping that his high salary will shake some stuff loose in the free agent market. But make sure to check your league. If other teams have cap space, someone may be able to just absorb that hit this time of year. With that out of the way, let's get into some of the fun stuff. A couple young pitchers will be making starts today. D.L. Hall will be joining the Orioles playoff hunt starting opposite Shane McClanahan in Tampa to make his major league debut. Hall has some filthy stuff, gets up to 100 with the fastball, has a nasty slider, but control is a concern. In AAA this year in 70 innings, he has an insane 114 strikeouts, but 44 walks plus a couple of hit by pitches. He's also given up 10 home runs in those 70 innings. Good hitters punish pitches that end up in the wrong spot, and Hall does not consistently put pitches in the right spot. I think he is well worth adding, but I'm going to urge some caution as I'm not sure this first start will be pretty and there will probably be some bumps in the road, but the talent is undeniable. In Miami, Kyle Muller is going to join Atlanta to start game one of their doubleheader. Muller has made nine major league starts, eight of them last year, one earlier this year. Hasn't been great, but has performed at another level in AAA this year, cutting his walks way down and posting the highest K percentage he has since rookie ball. His fastballs is his go-to, but in the past, control has failed him, and many of his fastballs haven't 
just missed, they've missed badly. If he's made real strides with that control, as the walk rate may suggest, the talent is there for a mid-rotation arm. If not, eh, I don't know. I like his matchup a lot more than Hall's, but Hall is the better prospect for my money if you're thinking long-term. Back to the less exciting news, Michael Brantley underwent season-ending shoulder surgery. We had just learned that his timeline was still unclear and that his season was at risk, and now we know it's over. Brantley is 35. He is a free agent after the season. While the last couple of years have been well off his prime, Brantley is still a solid player. He's posted a WRC plus over 120 every year since 2018, including last year and this year. And defensive metrics suggest he can still hold his own in left field. So you have to imagine he isn't done yet, but that may depend on how the shoulder heals. The Tigers transferred Tarek Skubal to the 60-day IL and made it practically official that his 2022 season is over. The more concerning thing from my point of view is that he's going to see a specialist about his elbow, and yeah, that's not good. In redraft, he's an obvious cut. In keepers, if I have him and I'm competing, I am shopping him hard for an immediate upgrade. But if I'm on the other side of that, I'm not sure I want to acquire him. There is still some risk. He misses a chunk of 2023. I would keep an eye out for news, though. If we get clarity that he'll be ready for the start of the next season, he becomes a really nice target. Luis Severino, meanwhile, working his way back. He threw from 120 feet on Friday and is going to have a bullpen session on Monday, so just still getting started. The Marlins optioned Brian De La Cruz to AAA. He had a really nice run at the end of 2021. was a guy I was really intrigued by this year. He had a nice stretch from mid-June to mid-July where it looked like he was playing regularly, producing, might be figuring things out. But since the All-Star break, he has really fallen off and he is off my watch list at this point. The Marlins also sent down Billy Hamilton and with those two moves, made room for John Birdie and Brian Anderson to come off the IL. Birdie's wheels have been much missed, but Anderson isn't really a fantasy factor anymore. He was two for four with a home run and a walk on Friday. Birdie returned by going two for five with a double, but no stolen bases. He was caught once. The Nats activated Tyler Clippert off the IL. Nats' pen is far from clear. Kyle Finnegan shows up on the reliever ranks grid as the closer, but Carl Edwards got their most recent save, and Finnegan doesn't have a single save in the month of August. Part of that's because the Nats don't win a lot. However, Clippert got into the game Friday, gave up a couple runs on three hits and a walk, so he isn't really entering that conversation just yet. In other pen news, the Mariners activated Ken Giles off the 15-day IL and then designated him for assignment. He's now thrown eight total innings since 2019, and they haven't been great innings. Injuries have really cut down on what had been an excellent career. After being pulled with a calf strain on Thursday and sitting out Friday, it sounds like Kyle Schwarber may be back soon. According to Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia, Schwarber hit in the cage Friday, responded well to treatment, and will not need an IL stint. Meanwhile, Mets infielders were dropping like flies in their game with Schwarber's Phillies on Friday. Jeff McNeil left with a cut on his right thumb, that is his throwing hand, while Eduardo Escobar had tightness in his side. Escobar is going to need imaging done, so he should learn more soon, but he may miss at least a day or two, depending on what that shows. For McNeil, a cut, even on his throwing hand, really shouldn't be a major issue, so potentially look for him to return today. Finally, with Jonathan Daza and Elias Diaz hitting the IL per our updates yesterday, the Rockies called up Don Nunez to help a catcher and outfielder Winton Bernard. Now, neither of these guys has fantasy relevance, but Bernard has spent 11 seasons in the minors. He's played 863 minor league games. He has played with five different organizations. And on Friday, he made his major league debut after all those years, went one for three with a single, a stolen base, and a run scored. Who knows if he's got more than a couple of weeks in him, but who cares? Just an awesome story. Super, super happy for him. On to other action on the field on Friday. We'll just get this out of the way first. Aaron Judge hit his 46th home run. 
He also stole his 12th base. He also walked twice. He scored twice. He drove in a run. He also saved a small child who fell off the green monster by running from his spot in right field all the way to left field to catch the child. And yeah, okay, I made up that last part. But honestly, at this point, you almost expect that from him. He's doing everything else. What a season. I hope you didn't sit Michael Harris because of a tough matchup with Pablo Lopez. I did, and I regret it. Harris, two for three with a double, a home run, two runs, two RBIs. He is turning into a star. I really shouldn't sit him anymore. And I again ask why he's still hitting ninth for Atlanta. Joey Manessis isn't the most highly touted guy. And at 30 years old, he's definitely not a prospect. But he was having a solid season at AAA. And the Nats don't actually have any other players. So here he is. And after a two for five effort plus a walk on Friday, Manessis now has a 370, 433, 815 slash line with four home runs, seven runs, and six RBIs in eight games. His plate discipline has been great. His early stat cast data looks good. I doubt there's much there long term. Remember where we were a year ago with Frank Schwindel? But he is hammering the ball right now and could be an interesting power bat down the stretch. Speaking of hammers, the Guardians took it to Jose Barrios. Jose Ramirez did a big chunk of the damage going three for four with a walk, a home run, a run, and four RBI. Ramirez started the season red hot but cooled off after a thumb injury and hasn't really rediscovered his groove, but he is capable of putting up a huge last couple months of the season. We're starting to see some signs of him breaking out now. Cedric Mullins hasn't come close to repeating his 2021, but we got a flash of it Friday. Three for six with his 10th home run, a run, a couple RBIs. He got caught stealing in this one. He is still a good source of speed with occasional pop, but he is not the guy we drafted him to be. Gio Urshela, three for four with a home run, a double, two runs, and an RBI. Urshela's been excellent since the calendar turned to July and has three of his 11 home runs in the season in just the last three weeks. Really interesting guy for the stretch run. Mike Yastrzemski, two for four with a home run, a double, a run, and three RBIs. I expect a real nice finish to the season from him. Other home runs around the game, Matt Olson got his 22nd. Trent Grisham, who I can never quit, got his 14th. Brandon Jury has 23. Michael Franco smacked number nine. Josh Naylor hit his 15th. Randy Arozarena his 14th. Adley Rutschman now has six. Trace Thompson hit his fifth. Sal Perez continues to be on fire. He's got 17. Kyle Tucker at 21. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado both homered for the cards again. Brian Servan hit his fifth. Gilberto Celestino hit his first on the year. Rodolfo Castro his second. Ben Gamble his fifth. And Greg Allen also got his first. As for stolen bases, Luke Williams got number 10 for Miami. J.J. Bladé got his second despite going 0 for 4. Haseon Kim stole his eighth. Cesar Hernandez his sixth. The Phillies stole three bases with Gene Segura getting number 10, Nick Castellanos number 6, and Bryson Stott, who's been quietly solid the last couple months, got his 5th. Akil Badu stole number 2, Javi Baez nabbed his 5th, Tim LaCastro stole his 7th, Jeremy Pena had a 3-hit night and stole his 7th, and Lars Newtbar stole his 3rd. On the hill... So yesterday, when I was looking for streamers, I said, maybe, if you were desperate, maybe Austin Voth could be a decent streamer, and I hope you were desperate. Five and a third innings, got the W, two runs on three hits, striking out five and walking one at a 36% CSW and 11 whiffs on just 35 swings. I have no idea what changed. Check out the SP Roundup because maybe Nick does, but boy, Voth has been real solid lately. On the other hand, yesterday I doubted both Domingo Herman and Nate Yavaldi, and they gave up three total runs in 12 innings. One run on five hits over six for Herman. He struck out four and walked two. Yavaldi gave up two runs on eight hits and two walks over six with just three strikeouts. Yvaldi's velo is also down, which is pretty concerning. So here's the thing on these two. I was wrong. I owe you an apology for that. Still not going to trust them moving forward. 
Cal Quantrill perfect into the fourth, then gave up a double to Vlad Jr., and then was perfect through the end of the seventh. Finished with seven innings pitch, seven strikeouts, and just the one base runner against the Jays. The Jays. His velocity was up, sitting near 95 with a sinker and 89 with his cutter, and my goodness, did it work for him. 12 whiffs isn't bad, especially in just 46 swings, and the 31% CSW looks great. I have been hesitant to use him, but this will help change that, and I won't hesitate at all with Detroit next week. I mentioned earlier that I benched Michael Harris with Pablo Lopez on the mound, but I also benched Lopez in a couple places where I'm ahead of an innings pitch pace. Lopez has been off lately, but Friday he was a bit better. Gave up just two runs on four hits and five and two-thirds, struck out four and didn't issue a walk. Very strong 16 whiffs. Got those whiffs on four different pitches. Unfortunately, Lopez gets San Diego next week, and I'll probably be nervous again. Mike Clevenger only gave up a run on three hits in five innings, but four walks and three strikeouts is pretty ugly, especially against the Nats. His velocity was down. He's never been super reliable with his health, so there's some risk here. But he has Miami next, and he'll be on the mound for me. Jose Barrios gave up eight runs on eight hits and two walks with just one strikeout over four innings pitched, and yeah, he is just not good right now. He had a really nice stretch, and I felt like he might be turning it around by staying under 50% with his fastball usage, but he was at just 39% with his two fastballs on Friday, and it didn't help. I've always been lower than the crowd on Barrios, but never this low, and now I'm this low. Apparently, it was just a bad day for former AL Central pitchers now in the AL East, as Corey Kluber was barely better than Barrios, giving up seven runs on 10 hits with a walk and four strikeouts and five and two-thirds. That was his fifth straight rough start, and the opponents? Baltimore, Baltimore, Cleveland, Detroit, Baltimore. Maybe the O's just have his number, but that should have been a manageable stretch, and yuck. On the other hand, Ranger Suarez, I see you. Facing a strong Mets team, he went seven innings of one-run ball, allowing three hits, two walks. Four strikeouts isn't great, but against that offense, that is a real nice showing. The whiffs aren't there. They probably won't be there very often, but this makes him a lot easier to use him in simpler matchups in the future, like when he faces Cincinnati next week. Max Scherzer was good, but gave up a lot of hits. One run on nine hits, no walks, six strikeouts, and seven innings pitched. Less than a strikeout per inning, more than a hit per inning is not what we're used to for him, but who cares? Michael Kopech had a no-no going through sixth, had 11 strikeouts and three walks on 85 pitches at that point, and was pulled in a 0-0 game. His pen gave up three hits, but no runs. Ronaldo Lopez got the W. Kendall Graveman got a hold. Liam Hendricks got his 24th save, all following him. Kopech had 22 whiffs and a 45% CSW, pitched about as well as a pitcher can pitch, and his velocity was up too. I really thought Daniel Norris would see some home run regression in that one, but nope, no home runs. Just four and two-thirds shutout innings with four hits, two walks, and just a single lonely strikeout. His velocity was down, just 90 on the four-seamer, and with just eight whiffs and a 25% CSW, things are not all as great as the surface numbers look. Norris likely gets a more favorable matchup with Cleveland next week, but I also suspect he gets worse results. George Kirby just missed a quality start at five and two-thirds. Another five strikeout, one walk appearance. He continues to host very impressive strikeout-to-walk ratios. Gave up two runs and seven hits in this one versus Texas. Really wanted to see what Daniel Lynch would do versus the Dodgers, and he delivered mostly. Five innings, zero runs, two hits, but he did walk four and strike out just three. Despite that, I am intrigued and maybe ready to buy in. Tony Gonsolin, six and two-thirds, allowing a run and two hits, but had three strikeouts and three walks. He also went to 14-1 and on the year with the win. Yeah, you'd like more Ks and fewer walks, but this will play. Jordan Montgomery was great Friday, holding Milwaukee scoreless over six with four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. 
I love what he's going to do down the stretch. Tyler Molly probably made the Twins front office real happy going six shutout against the Angels. Six strikeouts, two hits, three walks. He gets KC next, so the road stays easy for him. And as long as that's the case, you might as well keep using him. Finally, kind of ugly from Carlos Rodon in a way. Just two runs and six hits, zero walks, six innings pitch, seven strikeouts. That all sounds good. But a pair of home runs to a very, very bad Pittsburgh offense. And he's had some issues with loud contact lately. Only five hard hit balls in this one. So maybe those home runs are just sort of a thing that happened rather than a sign of something to be concerned about. Still a legit ace. I will still use him every time out. Coming out of the bullpens, Kenley Jansen got his 25th save, though he walked a couple in the process. He also struck out two. The Phils and Mets game came down to the pens as the starters gave up one each. Jose Alvarado and Adam Adovino threw scoreless eighths. Sir Anthony Dominguez and Edwin Diaz followed suit in the ninth. Then in the 10th, Michael Givens allowed an unearned run, a ground out and a sack fly brought home the ghost runner. David Robertson got his 16th save as he did not allow the ghost runner to come in from third after it was moved over. Clay Holmes blew his fifth save, giving up a run on a hit and two walks in a third of an inning, and he did so right after Araldis Chapman mowed down a couple Red Sox in a perfect inning. Maybe a changing of the guard coming. Meanwhile, Garrett Whitlock came out in the ninth of the Red Sox and took the tenth as well. He struck out three, walked one, and got the win. The Sox pen continues to be used in what's a pretty optimal way for a major league bullpen. Guys being slotted in where they can help rather than in a preset role, but that is no good for us fantasy players. Hector Neris got his second save. Ryan Presley had pitched on the 9th and 10th after getting nine days off, so maybe they just wanted to give him two days off in a row as well. Honestly, your guess is as good as mine. This is also the team that just traded for Trey Mancini so they could not use him, so who knows what they're doing. Ryan Helsley got his 12th save, striking out the side around a couple hits. Carlos Estevez got his second save for the Rockies after Bard had to face six hitters to get a save Thursday. I assume this was just getting him some rest. Camila Duvall went one, two, three through the Buccos for his 16th save. Before we turn our attention to what's happening today, let's look at the weather with our friend Mark Paquette. Thank you very much. Well, the quiet weather pattern, especially across the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Great Lakes, continues today, and we should see no postponements or delay threats whatsoever. So go ahead and play everything you got. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. You're looking for streamers. If Ian Anderson was dropped in your leagues when he was sent down, I would pick him up. He's been better lately. Miami is bad, and I'm in for this one. I'd also consider Adrian Sampson versus Cincinnati. As for your hitters, maybe this isn't great advice. Maybe it doesn't really mean anything. But even without Tatis, I'm starting my Padres, especially against Anibal Sanchez. think they could have a big, big offensive day. Same with your Dodgers against Brad Keller. I think he's going to have real issues with them. In terms of what I'm watching, I mean, everyone's going to be watching DeGrom versus Nola, right? That's the marquee matchup for sure. I'm also excited to see Reed Detmers, Tristan McKenzie, and of course, the two call-ups we just talked about at the beginning of the show, Kyle Muller and D.L. Hall. Very intrigued to see what they can both do. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go check out the SP Roundup batters box and reliever ranks, as well as all the other great content over on Pitcher List. Once you've done that, enjoy your baseball, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.